Today we're beginning a new message series which have been titled Lessons from the Master. And of course, the Master is Jesus. He, he is the Master. Uh, he is the Master Teacher. And we can learn a great deal from Him as we go through the Gospel of Luke. Today I've entitled the message, The Already Not Yet Kingdom. We're going to be looking at some of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God today. Sometimes called the kingdom of heaven, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, they're one and the same. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the realm in which God rules. The kingdom of God is the realm in which God's will is done. Let's look at a little diagram to better understand the kingdom. A very simple little diagram. Here we have the earth. That's where we live, right? This is us. That's where we live. And over here we have heaven. Uh, Heaven and earth are different, are they not? Uh, Earth is a physical reality. I mean, there's dirt under our feet and there's sky over our head. Heaven is different. Heaven is a spiritual reality. And most of us think of heaven in the sense that, well, as a believer, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, right? That's true. Uh, That's a wonderful hope that we have. But is that really all that heaven is about? Is that really all that the kingdom of God is about? Does God rule in heaven? Yes. There's no sin in heaven. There's no evil in heaven. Everything that's done in heaven is God's will. And so heaven certainly is also the kingdom of God. But things aren't so simple. If we just think of heaven as something that's reserved for the afterlife or eternity. We're all familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Probably many of us have it memorized. Matthew 6.10 says we are to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first thing we see from this, from this petition in the Lord's Prayer is that God's will is done in heaven. I mean, that we should understand that, but that's said that's the case. God's will is done perfectly in heaven, and we are to pray that... As God's kingdom comes, comes where? To earth. As God's kingdom comes from heaven to earth, more and more of what? God's will would be done in earth, on earth, just as it is in heaven. And so when God's will is done on earth, God's kingdom is coming to this earth. And so let's modify the diagram a little bit. So here we see heaven invading earth. And so there becomes an overlap of heaven and earth, or we might say the kingdom of God and earth. And so in all of the kingdom or all of heaven, God's will is being done. And so here we see God's will is being done in earth as well. The kingdom of God is breaking into the realm of earth. But the overlap is not yet complete, is it? Already some of God's kingdom is coming, but There's quite a lot of the earth that has not been under the influence of God's kingdom. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 10, 9, heal the sick in it, in a city he is sending them to, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come 
near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Now this verse is part of Jesus' command to 72 disciples that he sent out on a mission to spread the gospel, to heal the sick. And so part of that mission was to heal the sick through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when they did that, they were to say, just as Jesus had done, the kingdom of God has come near to you. You see, healing is God's will. It's God's will to heal people. And as people are healed, it's a demonstration. It's beginning to be a fulfillment of that petition in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are, are there any sick people in heaven? No. And so as heaven comes to earth, God brings healing into people's lives. And heaven in one sense, invades earth. And so that is the mission of every believer to bring the power of heaven, to bring heaven near, to bring the kingdom of God near to the people that live on the planet. And so already we do see in the ministry of Jesus, in the ministry of his disciples, in the ministry of the church, in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, continuing down through history, continuing through missionaries and people in our country that are praying for people. We continue to see miracles happen. We continue to see heaven invading earth. But not yet do we see the kingdom completely filling the earth, do we? There's still a lot of things on this earth that are happening that are not God's will. All you have to do is turn on the news or read a news channel to see lots of things that are happening that are not God's will, that we know are not happening in heaven. But one day, one day the overlap will be complete. This is something that a lot of people haven't thought about, even though it's quite clearly taught in the New Testament. The triumph of the kingdom of God will engulf the entire planet. Revelation 21, verse 2 is one of the places it talks about it. This is a vision that the Apostle John saw. He said, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And so one day, heaven will completely overlap earth. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth, the Bible says, in which they're overlapped, where righteousness alone dwells, all sin, all evil, everything will be removed from this planet. And God will live with his people. When has God directly lived with his people? Remember back to the Garden of Eden before sin came into the world. And Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden walked and talked with God. And that's what's going to happen once again. The final triumph of the kingdom of God will result in the merging of heaven and earth. And we're going to live there forever as believers in immortal bodies. Our bodies will be both physical and spiritual, physical and eternal, just like Jesus' resurrected body. Bible calls it glorified bodies. Jesus' body could be touched. He could eat. Everything else was physical, but yet 
He could pass through walls. He could ascend into heaven. He could do all these things in this glorified body. That's the kind of body that we will have that will be appropriate for the merging of heaven and earth. But that aspect of, the God's, of God's kingdom is not yet. It hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen in the future, and we're going to learn some more about it as we look at Jesus' teaching today on the kingdom of God. Let's look at the question, when will the kingdom come? Beginning in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he, that's Jesus, answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So the Pharisees thought that the kingdom of God would come in some dramatic fashion. Most of them thought that the Messiah was going to come somehow, destroy the Roman Empire, set Israel free, and rule as an earthly ruler. Jesus told them that the coming of the kingdom in this age would not be obvious for everyone to see. In fact, it would be something where it would not be something where people would point, oh, there, there the kingdom is coming, or, or look, there it is. Jesus concludes his answer to their question of when the kingdom would come by saying that the kingdom of God was in the midst of them. In other words, the kingdom of God was already near to them. And how was that? It was in the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of his disciples. The kingdom was drawing near. In fact, Jesus used that phrase many times. The kingdom has come near to you. The kingdom is among you. Now, the Pharisees did not recognize it at all. The kingdom was right there. God's will was being done. Supernatural things were happening. And they did not recognize it. He goes on to answer the question, when will the kingdom come? He said to his disciples, verse 22, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. That's Jesus. And you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. Now you notice Jesus is now not talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to his disciples. He's giving them inner knowledge that he didn't share with everyone. And so in the future, after Jesus ascended into heaven, his disciples would, would desire to see Jesus return. They'd desire to see him again. And some people would begin to say that somewhere or somehow Jesus had returned. Or somebody would begin to say, well, I am Jesus. I have returned. And Jesus warns his disciples of that age and of every age, including us today, that anyone who claims to be Jesus come back from heaven, we are not to follow, we are not to recognize. And there are people that say that. There are people with large gatherings of people following them that claim to be Jesus returned even today. So why are we not to recognize 
people who claim to be Jesus. How will we know? Because that's not the way Jesus will return. He's not going to return in secret. He's not going to return and be hidden away somewhere. How is he going to return? Well, he tells us in verse 24. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So when Jesus returns, it will be like a lightning bolt that flashes across the entire sky. And it won't just be in one part of the world. It'll be around the whole globe. Everybody is going to see it. And everybody's going to know what is happening. That Jesus, the very Son of God, is returning. And every eye, there's a lot of other scriptures about this, will see him as he descends to the earth. So everyone on, a, on the planet will know in an instant that Jesus has returned. He's not going to return in secret. He's not going to return in one place or to a select few. Anyone that says that is spreading a false a falsity. Now he says, of course, here, this is before his death. He's going to have to suffer and be crucified, buried, and then he's going to rise from the dead. But he's going to be rejected by the majority of the generation to which he came. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended back into heaven. And in heaven, he's waiting. He's waiting for the single signal from the Father to send him to earth for the second time. And that return will bring the fullness of the kingdom of God to the earth. So as believers, God's kingdom is already breaking into our world. And as believers, the kingdom in essence, is resident inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And so wherever we go, we are to bring the kingdom. We are to bring the kingdom's power. We are to bring the kingdom's truth. And as we follow Jesus and do the things that he calls us to do, more and more people will become believers. And what happens when somebody becomes a believer? They become a citizen of the kingdom of God. A lot of these things in Scripture are really very simple. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of darkness. You're either a citizen of one or the other. When somebody becomes a believer, they're transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God. And so God's will is being done on this earth in some places. But there are many places where evil still reigns. And in the missions video we just saw, we see that the demonic power of Satan is has a huge hold on huge people groups. India, Hinduism, across the country, and yet the gospel is beginning to be preached there and revival is happening more and more in the, in the country of India and other places. Buddhism reigns. And so we wait, we pray, we believe that in God's timing, Jesus is going to return and one day bring the fullness of the kingdom to the earth. And when is that going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> In fact, the Bible curiously says Jesus doesn't know. Only the Father knows. I can't explain that, but only the Father knows. When the, I see it as when the last person that's to be saved is saved, that God wants to see saved, Jesus will return. When God's family is complete, he will return. When we seek God's kingdom first, 
in our prayers and in our lives through prayer, when we are witnesses for the kingdom, the Bible says we actually hasten the return of the Lord. And so we look forward in hope to one day a new heavens and a new earth where only righteousness dwells, when the kingdom of God has come in its fullness. Now, when the kingdom comes, there's going to be judgment. Verse 26, Jesus' teaching continues. This is one of the most extended teachings of Jesus on the kingdom that we have and on his return. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So Jesus begins now to talk about what's going to happen when he returns to earth. He compares his return in the future, of course, and Jesus' future back then and our future today to the days, what happened in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, there was extreme violence in the world. There was extreme evil. It was so evil, God regretted how mankind had fallen away from him, and he decided to bring judgment on the world. But yet there was one person who was still following God, Noah and his family. And so God warned Noah and his family and told them to build the ark. And so over many, many years, over decades, they built this ark following the command of God. God telling them it was going to rain and there'd be a big flood when it had never rained before. They continued to obey God. People laughed at them says in the New Testament that Noah warned the people of this coming judgment, but they didn't listen. They carried on life as normal, eating, drinking, marrying, thinking everything would continue as it always had. And then one day, it seemed like an ordinary day, and God spoke, and Noah and his family got into the ark. Probably everyone said, what are they doing? They got into the ark, God closed the door, and it began to rain. And it rained, and it rained, and the fountains of the deep opened up, and there was a flood unlike any other. And everyone on the earth except Noah and his family were destroyed. That's an example of, we'll talk about what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. Jesus gives another example in verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So the next example of what Jesus' return will be like is is from the story of Lot. Lot lived in the city of Sodom, a wicked and perverse city that celebrated homosexuality. In fact, the homosexuals of the city attempted to, attempted to rape angels that visited Lot. And they attempted to abuse Lot himself. And the angels rescued Lot. The people of the city, bent on evil, had no idea what was going to come. But the angels led Lot and his family out of the city and rescued them from God's judgment. And when they were safely out of Sodom, God sent fire and sulfur down upon that city. 
completely engulfed it and destroyed the city and everyone in it. So Jesus is saying when he returns, it will be just as it was in those two examples. So what can we learn from those two examples? What are some of the common denominators there? First of all, Jesus' return will be completely unexpected. No one will expect. There'll be no warning signs. I think that's going to be true of unbelievers and believers as well. We're not going to know. We're not going to know. Unbelievers will be carrying out their sinful lives as normal, not giving any thought to God. And suddenly, in a flash, lightning will spread across the entire sky. And somehow, everyone's going to see Jesus descending to earth. Everyone across the whole planet, whether it's day or night, everyone's going to know. And at that split instant, everyone's eternal destiny will be sealed. There'll be no time to repent. At that instant, at that second, you're either a believer or not. And your eternal destiny will not change. Those who are believers will be saved from the coming judgment. And those who are not believers are going to face eternity in hell. Spoken of in Revelation as the lake of fire. Now there is another coming of the Lord for each of us personally. Which is our death. None of us knows when it's going to be. Sometimes you may know that it's imminent and other times people don't know at all. It comes in a flash, in a second. And when you die, just as when Jesus returns, your eternal destiny will be sealed. If you're a believer, you're going to spend eternity with God in his kingdom. If you're not, you're going to spend eternity apart from him with the devil and his angels in hell. There are no Second chances, despite what you may have been taught. Other places, the Bible says there are no second chances after you die. There are no second chances after Jesus returns. Your destiny is sealed. So we must make sure that we and others around us are prepared for Jesus' return. Verse 30. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day... Let the one who is in the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. So when Jesus returns, as we've said, he'll be revealed to the entire world. Everyone will know who he is. Everyone will understand the impact of his return. It's the end of history as we've known it. And so we are given warnings not what not to do on that day. We're not to be concerned with our physical possessions on the day Jesus returns. We're not to turn back to our home on the day that Jesus returns. So what should the focus of every believer be when Jesus returns? Well, it should be focused on Jesus. I mean, he's our savior. He's coming back for us. And we should spread our arms out wide to, to join him. Those who are concerned about their physical possessions, those who are concerned about their house, things on this earth, I believe demonstrate they're not truly believers at his return. So Jesus gives us another example of what he's warning us about. He says, remember Lot's wife, who 
Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Well, this is back to the story of Lot in Sodom. Lot and his family were rescued by the angels. They were led out of the city before destruction fell. Lot and his family, including his wife. And the angel warned them, do not look back. Do not look back with desire for what you were leaving. And so they continued out of the city. And as they were a ways off, Lot's wife turned around and looked back. She looked back. She disobeyed the command of God to her through the angel. I believe she was missing that city. And instantly, the judgment of God struck her and she turned into a pillar of salt. Uh, She was certainly not alive anymore. True believers' lives are focused on giving up everything to live for Jesus in this life. And, of course, they'll welcome him when he returns. Verse 34, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. So the coming of Jesus is often referred to in Scripture as coming as a thief in the night. How does a thief in the night come? Does he announce, knock on the door, say, hey, I'm coming? No, he sneaks in at an unexpected time, at a time when you are sleeping. He's totally unexpected. And Jesus tells us what will happen when he returns. A man and his wife will be sleeping in their bed, and suddenly one will be taken to be with Jesus. And the other will be left behind to face God's judgment. Two women will be working together at their job and suddenly one will be taken to be with Jesus and the other will be left behind to face God's judgment. The uh, the disciples asked Jesus one more question in verse 37. They said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. The disciples are asking Jesus, well, well, where is this going to happen? They really didn't understand what Jesus was trying to teach them. And Jesus replies that where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Jesus is saying that when he returns, those who are spiritually alive are going to be taken out of this world to be with him. In the new heavens and new earth, what will be left are in essence the corpses of the unbelievers. That's what vultures feed on. And they will one day be resurrected to face judgment. But it's a gory picture of what will happen to those who do not know Jesus on the day that he returns. So we must be prepared for Jesus' return. So how do we prepare for Jesus' return? Well, we are to live in anticipation of his return. It could happen at any time. We need to live every day like, well, Jesus, you could come back today. There's nothing that would prevent him from coming back this morning or this afternoon or tomorrow. Actually, the Bible says that when we live in anticipations of Jesus' return, it helps us live holy lives. It helps us live lives that are seeking his kingdom first. It puts things in perspective of eternity. 
as we anticipate his return, we are to seek his kingdom first in everything that we do. As we look forward to his return, we're not just concerned about ourselves. We must be concerned about the lost people around us. On the other side of the world and other religions. And our neighbors and our workmates who do not yet know Jesus. It motivates us. It should motivate us to reach the lost around us. Because if they have not been reached before his return, they have no hope. They have no hope. Being ready for Jesus' return is the most important thing in life. And so today we've learned from some of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God, about his return. We are to pray daily, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in my life, around me, as it is in heaven. And as believers, we have the kingdom inside of us. We carry the kingdom as we do God's will within us. And we are to bring that kingdom power to those around us. Just as he told his disciples to bring healing to people, we can bring healing to people of every kind, physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. And so heaven is already breaking into the world with its supernatural power. And it's going to continue. It's already here, but not yet in its fullness. That will happen when Jesus returns. So may we live every day looking forward to Jesus' return and being ready. May God help us to reach the lost around us and to bring revival to our city, the city of St. Louis. So the simple steps for someone to become a believer, for someone to be part of the kingdom of God, to someone be, to be born again is to simply repent, to turn away from their sin, to turn away from following their plan for their life. Believing that Jesus died on the cross, that their sins might be forgiven, inviting him into their lives, believing he rose from the dead, he's alive today, and submitting their lives to follow him as their Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray. If you'd like to pray this prayer for the first time or you'd like to recommit your life to Jesus Christ this morning, I'd encourage you to pray with me. Father, today I repent of my sin. I repent of doing things my way, not yours. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven. Please forgive me. I believe he rose from the dead. He's alive today. And I submit my life to serving him as my Lord and Savior all my days. Let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for your clear teaching. We pray that it would motivate us to live for you each and every day of our lives. We thank you that your kingdom is already here, but it's not here in its fullness. We look forward to that day when heaven comes down to earth. Lord, give us an awareness of this lost state of the people around us, that it might motivate us to reach out to them to spread the good news of the gospel. We pray that you give us opportunities in this coming week to share the good news of Jesus with somebody else. Opportunities to pray for those who are sick, that they might be healed. 
opportunities to share the truth of your word. Father, today we also want to pray for any here who are sick, any here who are seeking to bring healing to someone they know, someone they know is sick or needs your touch in their lives. So we're going to pray for them. If you need healing in any area of your body, I'd just like to ask you to put your hand on that area of your body or on your heart. Or if you know somebody and they have something in their body's amiss, they need healing, just lay your hand on that part of your body and agree with me as we pray. Father, we know that you are a healing God. We know healing is your will for people. We see it throughout the Bible. We see it in the ministry of Jesus. We see it in the ministry of his disciples. We see it continuing after he's ascended into heaven in the early church. We see it continue in our day. We want to be part of that. We want to see your power touch people's lives and lead them to you. We pray, God, for those who need your healing touch this morning, who are here among us in person this morning, who are watching online or who we know of. We pray for your healing power to come in and heal every sickness, God. We pray for cancer to be cured. We pray for back strains to be relieved. We pray for problems in shoulders to be healed and pain taken away, God. We pray for any who have problems with their eyesight, God, in Jesus' name, that their eyesight would be clear. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.